0: Turn with me, if you would, this morning over to the Book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. I've been looking yesterday at a couple of uh, couple of verses here in Hebrews as I was. Reading some passages yesterday, and uh, my aim and thought this morning was uh, uh, to uh, basically dwell on uh, uh, verse ten of Hebrews ten, uh, by the which will. And that's kind of what my thoughts were yesterday, at least, and got up this morning and started reading through these passages again this morning and seeking the Lord and everything and it, all of a sudden I got caught as I was reading down through this passage I got caught on another phrase uh down here and it's a phrase that I intended quite a while back to uh uh to preach upon uh it's a subject that uh, uh the Lord kind of changed my mind about a few years back I uh, heard a preacher that was in a Bible conference with me one time, preaching on this subject, and the Spirit of God just attested to my spirit that what he was saying was true, and uh, as I began to look into it, I believed that he was true, that was the Spirit of God that was attested to my spirit, that it was. such. So, uh, Anyway, I was reading down through that this morning, and I thought, man, that right there just really is sticking in my mind. And so I thought we might look at this this morning. Uh, I mentioned on Facebook and, and our church page and everything that uh, the subject of this is being made the footstool of God. And that's the phrase that really kind of jumped at me this morning is... uh Till his enemies be made his footstool. But let's start reading in uh, (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7. It says, then said I, speaking of Christ, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do thy will, O God. Above, whenever he said, Sacrifice an offering, and burn offerings, an offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said I, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now that originally was what I wanted to talk about this morning by the which will, God's will, speaking of God's will. Jesus came in the volume of the book, everything is written of him and everything in the book is written about Christ coming to do the will of God and to accomplish the will of God. But what was the will of God? By the which will we are sanctified, we are made holy, we are made perfect, we are made uh, 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 complete in Christ Jesus through the offering of the body of Jesus. And so because of all that what Jesus has done, all of what Jesus does for us as our substitute, then we come and we worship. That's why we're here today, we're here to worship Christ Jesus, for what he has done on our behalf, we're here to declare the gospel of the good news that Jesus has, accomplished all the will of God on behalf of his people. And so that basically was what I was kind of the gist of what I was wanting to maybe speak about today, if the Lord was willing, and obviously the Lord wanted me to go a different direction. But I want you to remember that, that the Lord's will was that Christ Make an offering to perfect his people, and that they would be holy and blameless before him in love, and that they would be uh, considered spotless without blemish, that as the Bible says that there would be no sin imputed to them, that he had beheld he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, nor hath he seen perverseness in Israel. why? Because they have before the foundation of the world, Always been seen in Christ. They were united to Christ before the foundation of the world. They have always been in Christ Jesus. Christ came as their substitute on their behalf because they were his people before. God had given him a people and he came for that people. And here we see that he came uh, to do God's will. And it says in verse 11, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now here we see Christ after he had made his sacrifice. The Bible says that he made that sacrifice once for all. It's not like the Old Testament priesthood where they had to stand day after day, year after year, making sacrifices for the sins of the people. It couldn't take away the sins of the people. Those atonement sacrifices never could do anything. All that was was just a covering. However, uh, Jesus came to make complete and total uh, propitiation for his people. He came and he made a... Uh, 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 A sacrifice that was accepted by God once for all time. There was no need. There's no need for Christ to ever be slain again. There's no other sacrifices that's needed. Everything that Jesus Christ did satisfied God fully in all of his justice. That for the people that he gave to Christ and all the sins that they would ever commit throughout their lifetime and every generation, that those people would be a people who was holy unto God without spot or blemish. And that came by the which will. That was God's will. God's will was that these people would fall in Adam and in that fall that God would save them and redeem them out of that fall through the blood of Jesus Christ to the demonstration not only of God's justice, but also of the demonstration of God's love and his mercy and his grace. The Bible says that God has um, the sovereign right to give mercy on whom He will have mercy, and He would give uh, grace to whoever He would want to give grace to, and that that was His sovereign right. And if He wanted to, uh, if He wanted to punish somebody, if He wanted to uh, uh, create a vessel unto dishonor and uh, fit that vessel for destruction, that's His sovereign right too. But praise the Lord that He, before the foundation of the world, chose a people in Christ to send Christ to be that one offering forever that would perfect them, that would give them the status of justified before God, that God would not hold their sins against them. And it says here, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now I'm going to stop right there. Uh, looking at this subject back if you would back in verse 13 Jesus after he had made the sacrifice sat down at the right hand of God expecting till his enemies be made his footstool and that's what I'd like to speak about being made the footstool For most of my life, and I would say up until about, you know, a few years ago, uh, I always thought, and let me just say this before we get too far into this and everything, this phrase, being made the footstool uh, uh, of Christ, or, or until his enemies be made his footstool, uh, this is actually found six times throughout Scripture. There's one time in the Old Testament that's found. We're going to go there here in just a few minutes. Uh, but then there's five times that that verse, the first time is found in, in Psalms, and we're going to go there in a minute. But there are five times that that verse in Psalms is quoted in the New Testament. So a total of six times that this is found in the Bible, that thy enemies be made thy footstool. And... As I said, my whole life until just a few years ago, I always thought this passage or this phrase is talking about until the very end. Whenever Christ takes and all those who are the wicked, He judges them and throws them in the lake of fire. Okay, that He stomps on them, that He, you know, what, what's the footstool? Something that we put our feet up on, right, and rest our feet on. Something that we put our dirty shoes on. It's it's under us, you know. It's just a it's just a piece of furniture that's, you know, there to, you know, put our feet on. So you would think of a footstool as something that's lowly, that's not worth anything, that's just, you know, trash, basically, as far as the furniture world is concerned. But uh, my thought was, this is, the enemies of God are all those who are not the elect of God, it's everybody else. And so Christ is sitting at the right hand of God waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. But as I mentioned, the Lord showed me a different way of looking at this as I listened to a uh, brother uh, a few years ago preach on this uh, passage. And uh, it got me to thinking about that. And uh, I think that this is not talking about that. Now, I will say this. If the Bible does clearly say one of these days that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that includes the non-elect along with the elect. Uh, the good thing is, 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 you know, the Lord has given us grace uh, to acknowledge that and to know that and by revelation understand those things now. But um, the non-elect, they'll never know that in this lifetime. But they will, before they are cast in the lake of fire, they will be uh, bowing before Christ Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And they will acknowledge his kingship. They will acknowledge him as God. And uh, so I do believe that's true. However, I don't think that these verses, and we're going to briefly look at the five places that it's found, uh, or the six places that it's found, I don't believe that this is speaking about the non-elect. I believe this is speaking about us as the elect of God. If we are his children, we are the enemies that are made his footstool. The Bible says that we, by nature, were enemies of God, that we were uh, at enmity with him, that we were enemies against God. The Bible says that while we were uh, uh, at enmity with God and and while we were uh, um, a wrathful against him by nature, children of wrath, God has reconciled us to him and made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. That now, and even now in these verses that we looked about, the Bible says that the law, whenever the law was intact, the law was there, but it never gave peace to the conscience of those who were making those sacrifices because every year they had to keep making these sacrifices. Every time that they sinned, they had to make sacrifices. And so that Sin may have been covered, but it wasn't taken away. Their conscience wasn't clear because they knew they're going to have to come back here again with another sheep, another bird, another something to make uh, atonement as the priest would kill them and they'd make atonement for that. they could never bring the conscience to rest in that atonement, rest in that uh, activity that they were involved in, in the priesthood, but as I said, when Christ came, he offered uh, for sins once and then sat down. And the reason he sat down is because everything he did was enough to satisfy the justice of God. So there was no more need for that work in the priesthood. Christ did it all in one shot. He did it all for all of his people once and for all. Therefore, there is no wor- need to worry about having to go back, go back and go back and go back and go back and go back. The Bible also says that whenever the gospel is revealed unto the children of God that it brings peace, there is peace that it brings to us. And so whenever we learn of what Christ has done on our behalf and God uh God teaches that by the Holy Spirit to us and 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 causes us to have a hope in him. Then we are now our conscience now is no more uh, worried about that. It is now uh, set upon Christ Jesus, and our conscience now is cleared that all of our sin has been paid for all of our uh, uh, all of our sin that we have ever done and ever will do has all been paid, and there is not going to be anything remembered whenever we come before God. As I said a while ago, we've been justified. That means our account has been cleared as a. That word justified, justified, never sinned. Uh, Is why we always talk about that. And so I believe that these enemies that it's talking about here is not the non-elect, but it is the people of God. It is the elect of God who were by nature enemies of God, who were by nature hateful towards God, wrathful towards God. Yet they have been made his footstool. But what is it about this footstool? What does it mean to be made the footstool of God? The footstool of God, as we look in the scripture, is the place where God is worshipped. It's the place where God is worshipped. It's the house of God. We just sang two or three songs uh, here talking about the church being the house of God, being Zion, the place where God makes his abode with us, where two or three are gathered in his name. There I am in their midst. God said that I will be their God and I will dwell with them. I will be there with them. And so we see that there is a a people of God and these people who once were enemies are now changed to now come before the throne of God and to be his footstool, to be at his feet now. Look with me, if you would, to Psalms chapter one hundred and ten. I want to uh, hopefully God will enable me uh, establish this through the Scriptures. Psalms one hundred and ten. This is the first place that this pat, this phrase, is found in in God's Word. Psalms one hundred and ten. I'm going to start reading it in verse 1. It says, and this is where it's found. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now that's God speaking of Jesus. The Lord said unto my Lord. God said unto the servant, his servant. Sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. But look at verse 2. It says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength. The rod of thy strength is the Lord Jesus Christ. The rod of thy strength is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. And he says, rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. Now we've talked about this before. A kingdom has a king, right? And what does the king do in a kingdom? He rules. rules. The king rules the kingdom. He is the center point of the kingdom. He is the focal point of the kingdom. Everything coming and going, everything that is happening, everything that's done, it all is under the kingship that that king rules with. He rules his kingdom. And here we see that the strength, the rod of the strength of God is going to come out of Zion and rule in the midst of his enemies. He is ruling his kingdom in the midst of his enemies, brethren. So we see found in scripture here. A precedence that the Lord has set. Number one, he has set Christ at his right hand, meaning the, the power, the authority. We've mentioned that before. Whenever the Bible talks about uh, sitting at the right hand or at the right hand of God, it speaks of his power. It speaks of his authority. It speaks of his sovereignty. What does a king have? A king is a sovereign. One of the other terms for a king is a sovereign. Okay, He is the sovereign. That means he has all control, all rule. He rules over everything. Nothing is higher than him. Nothing controls him. He controls everything else. Well, that's what it means to be God. God controls everything else. And he has set Christ in the middle of the kingdom to rule. Because he's given him his right hand. He's the right arm of God. To rule over his enemies. It says in verse three, it says thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast to do with thy youth. So here we see that in this kingdom, the rod and the strength of God that is sent out of Zion to rule in the, in the midst of the enemies, those enemies in verse three are called his people, thy people, shall be willing in the day of thy power. Willing to do what? Willing to be ruled over. Willing to submit. Willing to worship. At the feet of their king. That's what they're willing to do. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. We talk about this all the time. Man doesn't have free will. God has not given men free will. The only person who has free will is God. That's the only one who has free will. Every one of us, our will is constrained as I mentioned before everyone says, well it's constrained by your free you have free will according to your nature that ain't true either. in my natural nature the Adamic nature, the fleshly nature, that nature is ruled by God. I can't do no more in that nature than God will purpose. God has purposed all things my Adamic nature and my spiritual uh, person. I am natural. And everything that I do in the flesh is natural. And that is governed by God. And everything that spirit that comes from above, that comes in and dwells this flesh, that too is governed by God. God governs it all. So he is the king. But it says here, we are the ones that will be made willing. Thy people shall be willing In the day of thy power. Why? Because there has been a rod of strength. Set to rule over us. He is in the midst of his enemies. And he is ruling over them. And he makes them willing. They shall be made willing in the day of thy power. Whenever God exerts his power. Over his subjects. They will be willing. Why? Because they recognize that he is the sovereign. They recognize that he is the king. They recognize that he is God. Now we see this phrase in in several other places in the scripture. That's the first place we find it. But we also find it in the book of Matthew. Turn with me if you would to Matthew. Now I've kind of established a little bit of that. But I think we're going to look a little bit further at some other verses. Once we find all the places that this is found in scripture. And I hope to uh, show that the scriptures do clearly teach that we are the enemy's made footstools. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. Let's look at verse thirty six it says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The Son of David He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my, on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Jesus was establishing the fact that David had considered the Lord his Lord. And he says, well, whose son is he? If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? Jesus was establishing his authority as the Messiah. Jesus was trying to get them to understand, not trying to get them to understand. Jesus was expounding to them what the Scriptures actually was teaching is that the Messiah and him being the Messiah is the Lord at God's right hand. And they themselves are rejecting him. They are not coming under his rule. They are not coming to his feet and bowing in submission. Why? Because they are not his people. They are not his footstool. <clears throat> Look, if you would, at Mark, basically the same passages that we see here, Mark chapter 12. This is Mark's account of the same thing that we just seen. Verse 28, one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Jesus answered and said, While he taught in the temple, how to say the scribes that Christ is the Son of David? For David himself said, By the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, Thou sit, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly, and he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go long, go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for pre- uh, pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And So we see here Jesus again, a little more clear, uh, uh, uh Depiction of Him speaking of Him being over all and that how these men, they make it a thing to be, they want to be worshipped. They want to be thought about. But yet Christ has established that He is the Lord and the King over all. Look at Luke's account, if you would, Luke chapter 20. Brethren, obviously this is an important passage as many times as we keep seeing it come up in the scriptures. Luke chapter 20 and the passage, uh, begins in verse 39. (laughs) Then certain scribes answered and said, Master thou said well, and after that they durst not ask any, uh, ask him any questions at all. He said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? David himself saith in the book of Psalms. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his enemy? Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms and feasts which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers, the same shall receive greater condemnation. So we see that there. We see it also in Acts chapter 2. And I'll start reading in verse 29. This is in the middle of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. It says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Now, if you remember the Jews, they, they, they held in high esteem their patriarchs, okay? They held in high esteem Moses, Abraham, Moses, they held Joshua, uh, they held in high esteem um, David, King David. Okay? These were men that they held in real high high esteem and basically kind of worshipped. But it says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with his oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Messiah. Sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did seek corruption. So, here we see that Christ ascending the throne was speaking of the resurrection. It's not talking about some millennial reign, down the road in a thousand year reign. Christ ascending the throne of David was Christ's resurrection. That's whenever he ascended the throne of David. He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath, uh, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly That God had made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord, the one sitting at his right hand, and Christ, the Messiah that came to you and you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. In many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this a generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto to them, the church, about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfast in the apostle's doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread, and prayers. So here we see that uh, Peter, uh, whenever he began to uh, press upon them the kingship of Christ, he appealed back to the 110th Psalm, where David, who wrote that 110th Psalm by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, My Lord said unto me, my Lord said, the Lord said unto my Lord, David's Lord, David's Master. God said to my Master, sit at my right hand. David's Master was Christ Jesus. He recognized that. David is not the Master. David is not the one at God's right hand. That's what Peter's argument was. David hasn't ascended up into heaven. You guys are putting all this emphasis on these men and especially David. You guys are raising him up but Jesus is the one who is sitting at the right hand of God, not David. David's still dead and buried in the tomb. His bones are still there. Well, they probably were disintegrated by then. but David was in the tomb. Dead. But yet Christ was alive and sitting at the right hand of God. Now, so those are all the places that that's found in scripture. So you'd think six places in scripture where the Bible says that the enemies of God will be made his footstool. But that would be a pretty important phrase. And as I've already kind of alluded to, I believe this talks about the people of God. I think that means the elect of God. As they are, as they are converted by the Holy Spirit, as they are granted repentance, as they are revealed the scriptures in the gospel, that they who once were enemies, are brought nigh unto God. That they are brought nigh unto God, and they come, and uh, they kneel at His feet. That is one of the ways in the old days uh, that you used to worship. In fact, we were watching a, uh, uh, a movie just uh, last night, I believe it was, and one of the signs of someone being submitted to another person is that they come and they kiss their feet. And the, and the king would be there and they would come and they would bow down and they would kiss their feet. If you remember the, the Samaritan woman, uh, or not the Samaritan woman, the, uh, uh Mary, uh, whenever she came to Jesus and washed his feet, you know, she came and she bowed at his feet. She anointed his feet and it was all about coming to his feet. Whenever Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he bowed and he came and washed his feet. It's, a, it's an act of coming and being submissive to somebody, coming to the lowliest part of that person, but giving reverence to that lowliest part of that person. And so whenever we come to the king, we come to the to the lowest part of the king, which is his feet. The dirtiest part of his body, probably, is his feet. But we come to that uncommonly part and we come and we sit and we, we worship at the feet of Jesus. We worship at His feet. We don't worship Him at His face because we're not equals with Him. Right? We don't worship looking down on Him. We don't worship looking straight at Him because He's far greater than we are. But we come and we bow at His feet. We come in submission. Why? Because we realize His kingship. Everything that He has done for us, everything that He has accomplished for us, we come in submission and, and, and give homage to Him. We give worship to Him because He has done this for us. And I believe the Bible speaks that we would be this people. Look with me if you would back in the Old Testament to Isaiah and turn to uh, uh, chapter 66, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, look with me at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now look at the question here that comes right after that. Where is the house that ye build unto me and where is the place of my rest? Notice, in conjunction with the footstool is, where is the house that ye build unto me? The Bible speaks that we are a house that is framed up by God, that we are lively stones and that he has built us into the house of God. We are the house of God. We are his building. The Bible says that Whenever Jesus came and spoke to that woman of Samaria, she said, you know, we worship over here and you guys worship over there. And Jesus said, listen, there's going to be a time come when the worshipers of God are not going to worship over here and over there. They're not going to come to a specific place. But the Bible says that his his worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. That he will cause them to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be in a physical building. That's not the church. We all know that. You've heard me preach that and and hold to that all these years. That the church is not a physical building. Whenever we lost that meeting house that we used to stay in, we didn't lose the church. The church didn't go away. The church was meeting inside of that building. The church is the baptized believers that were meeting together in in that building. That is who the church is. The church is baptized, assembled, gathered, baptized believers. That is who the church is. And whenever that church comes together and forms, it forms the house of God. That is the place in which God comes and dwells. In the Old Testament he used to come down into the tabernacle of meeting and he would come and his glory would come and Rest over the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Bible says that he's not going to be in temples made with hands. Jesus said, I'm going to tear down this tabernacle in three days and I'm going to raise it up again. But he wasn't speaking about that building necessarily, although that building was torn down. He was talking about his body. He said, I'm going to tear this tabernacle down I'm going to raise it back up. And in raising it back up, he has established a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. Everybody's looking for a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's the king of that kingdom. And all the subjects of that kingdom is a spiritual subjects. It's not physical. The Bible says that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That, That Those who are in the flesh cannot enter into the kingdom of God. With fleshly eyes, with fleshly understanding, with fleshly abilities, we can't do the will of God. We can't do spiritual things. We cannot see spiritual things. We can't understand spiritual things. We will never be accepted of God based upon the things in this physical kingdom. But brethren, in the spiritual kingdom, we are different people than who we are in the natural kingdom. In the spiritual kingdom, we are perfect and righteous and holy. We do submit to God. We do love God with all of our heart. We do love our neighbor as ourselves, our our fellow brothers in Christ, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In the spirit we can do that. In the flesh, we can't ever do that. It's imperfect. Never will be perfect. And God isn't accepting the partial try that you do to be that. No, He only He only accepts what Christ did on your behalf that is credited to you, and as that spiritual life that is in you is perfect, that is what God looks at. This flesh is just a temporary suit that I'm wearing until the perfect suit is given to us when Christ comes again. Until now, until then, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It will be a spiritual kingdom. And then whenever we get those spiritual bodies it will still be a spiritual kingdom although it will be in a physical thing. We will be physically there. We will be physically with Christ. We will be physically worshiping Christ at His feet. But it will be with the spiritual body, brethren. Is it ain't ever going to be about this natural life. This natural self. This this time, this period that we are in in this body means nothing. It's all about what's in the spirit. And he said The Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? What did Jesus say? He said, I will build my church. What's the physical house? The footstool. People of God. Whenever they gather together, they become the church. That's where he meets. The Bible says... In the, uh, what's called the Great Commission, he says, and lo, I am with you. And who was he saying whenever he said, you, ye, I will be with ye always, even until the end of the age? He was speaking to the church that gathered assembly that was there. He had the apostles there. He had the disciples there. The women were there. All those that were, that were, uh, a part of the church that Jesus began. And Jesus before that even said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the one that is building the house. The Lord saith, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Look with me, if you would, in 1 Chronicles Verse 28, or chapter 28. <clears throat> and David assembled, starting in verse 1. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course and the captains over the thousands, and the captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king, and of, the, of his sons with the officers and with the mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up uh, stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in my heart to build a house of rest, for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler of the house of Judah. And the house of my father and among the sons of my father, he liked me uh, to make me king over all Israel. i so will stop right there. But he says here, as for me, I had in my heart to build a house uh, of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Which the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, we talked about this a while back. The Ark of the Covenant is a type and a picture of Christ Jesus. You had the ark that was uh, the ark, and it was overlaid with gold. And you had the gold bar that the mercy seat that was stood up, that was set on it, and that's where the glory of God came and rested on that. That's where the offering and the blood was was uh, spilled was right there, and the blood covered that, and God accepted that sacrifice whenever it was made there inside the ark of the covenant. We had the the Ten Commandments, and we had Aaron's rod that budded. and... We had the bowl of uh, showbread in there. And all those are pictures of Christ Jesus. And he says right here, he says, I have in my heart to build a house of rest for Christ. And for the footstool of our God. It's for Christ and for the footstool of our God. I think that has spiritual meaning for us. That God here is showing the connection between Christ as king and his people who are made the house and rest of God. That's where he dwells. That's where he lives. Among his people. We are the footstool of God. We are the building of God. That is his footstool. Look at Psalms 99. See man, I think that's kind of a stretch preacher. I think you're kind of stretching things. I might be, I don't know. I'll be, I'll, I, I'll take any correction if any brothers are out there that's watching or listening. It's by God's word. Psalm 99, look with me if you would. At verse 5, it says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and where does the worship take place at? His footstool. His footstool. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. So the worship of God is at the footstool. That was what the footstool was for, It's for the worship of God. Now let's go back and think about a couple of things we have already seen. The Bible said that God made the world and the whole world is his footstool, right? Does not the Bible say that all of his creation is that in nature that everything that God has made bears witness that he is God, shows forth, shows forth his handiwork, that everything shows forth the worship of God as God, as the nature as nature does, that everything at the end of time, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All the earth and everything therein is His. The Bible said it was made by Him and it was made for Him, for of Him and to Him and through Him be all things, be glory forever. Everything brings glory to God. Everything. God has purposed all things for His glory. Good and bad, his purpose, all things for his glory. So the world and all that is in it will bring forth praise unto God. But we, as the footstools, have been made willing to come. Made willing to come and worship him as holy, as our substitute. Why do I think it's talking about us? Why is the footstool? Us uh, will look because just a few verses down. Verse nine. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. Worship at his holy hill. The holy hill was the house of God. The holy hill was Zion. Okay? It's not that place that everyone's trying to get to in the Matrix. Zion is the holy hill of God. Jerusalem, the city of God. That is where we are to worship. And the Bible equates the children of God as the city of God. Wow, or you get that. Turn with me, if you would. Back to Revelation. Revelation 21, chapter 21. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him... Uh, that that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Verse 9. Look at it with me. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Now we know, brethren, the Bible teaches that we as the people of God are the bride of Jesus Christ. We are his bride. We are the lamb's bride. But look at verse 10. He said, Come. I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me that great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Brethren, the bride is the city. The city is the bride. And both of those speak of the people of God who are built unto God a holy dwelling he dwells with us he is in us Jesus said I will send you a comforter. he will be with you and he will be in you he is with us corporately while we are here in our midst he said he would be with us when two or three are gathered he would be there in our midst the kingdom of God is here we are together in the midst and the Bible says what about the Lord he said, I will put you in their midst, in the midst of my enemies. I will put you in the midst of my enemies. So here we see, brethren, that we are the holy heel. We are the footstool. One last verse and we'll close this up. Look at Psalm 132. Psalm 132. Starting in verse one, says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how we swear unto the Lord and vow unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrath, Ephratah. sorry, I may have mispronounced that. We found it in the fields of the wood. Verse 7. We will go into his tabernacles; we will worship at his footstools. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy for thy servant David's sake. Turn not away the face of thine anointed; who is the anointed? Of God, it is Christ. For the sake of Christ, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. And he says here, let thy priest be clothed with righteousness. The Bible says that we are made priests unto God. That's the people of God. We are made priests unto God. The Bible says that we have been clothed with his righteousness. Let the priest be clothed with righteousness and let the saints shout for joy. Where are they doing this at? They are doing it at the footstool. The church is the place of God's dwelling. The church is the place of God's Worship. The church is the place where the people of God come together and form that holy hill, that beautiful city, the place of God, the place of His rest, where He has rested in us. And we worship Him. We are made willing in the day of His power. We who were enemies, and were far off, and who were in enmity, who were haters of God, have been brought nigh unto God by the blood of Christ Jesus. And brethren, that is what originally I was hoping to say in the passage in Hebrews, chapter 10. Get back to it so I don't misquote it. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, He comes and He says, He taketh away the first. He taketh away the shadow. He taketh away the first covenant that could not bring consciousness of sin away. The law. The sacrifices. He takes that away so that He might establish the second. The old tabernacle and the priesthood of the old system could never do anything. But he came as the king of the kingdom and was placed in the midst of his enemies and he has made all of his enemies his worshippers. See, we couldn't worship God in the old. We had no way of being able under the old covenant we could not do anything to worship God because we fail at every turn. We break the law of God. There is no ability to worship in the law. Through the law, by the law, But by the Spirit of God, we have been made the worshipers of God, given a contrite heart. The Bible says a contrite spirit is what he loves. That bulls and goats and all the sacrifices of blood, he don't care for but a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart is someone who has been made willing, been made submissive, that has been brought low to their feet where they come and worship at the feet. That's what a contrite heart is. That's what he loves. And we have been made his footstool. He says by the which will we are sanctified or set apart. We are set apart. That's what that word sanctified means. It means to be set apart for holiness, for holy use. God has set us apart to be his worshipers, to be his footstool, the place to where we come to bow and be before him and to give honor and glory. To him. He said. From henceforth expecting. Till all his enemies. Be made his footstool. I think of was 2 Peter 3.9. Where it talks about Christ. He isn't coming back. What is he doing? He's waiting expecting. Because he wills that none perish. But that all come to. Repentance. The reason he hasn't come back. For that last day. Is because there is still more of his people that are to be brought to repentance. As soon as all are brought to repentance, then that's the end. When all of his enemies are made his footstool, his worshipers are granted repentance and they come to Christ worshiping him, that will be the end. So brethren, I'm thankful that the Lord we be his, has made us his footstool. Does anybody have any questions or have any comments? Anything? Any corrections? Well, man, I'm interested if anybody's watching or listening, if I, if I misspoke anything on this, I pray that the Lord would correct me on that, and you guys are welcome to make comments about that, and as well, about the scriptures, I, I'll take correction. All right, anybody got anything? All right. Lord, we thank you this morning for all that you are and all that you've done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the mercy and grace that's given us through him. Thank you for the blood that has cleansed us from all of our sin. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that has come and revealed the gospel truth to us after he has quickened us. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the word of God that has revealed who you are, who we are. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this time together to come as the footstool of God to worship you. Lord, we are appreciative of everything that you have done for us on our behalf as our substitute. We know that there are no gods like you. All other gods that are out there, which truly are no gods at all, but all perceived gods that are out there are all requiring obedience from their subjects. Perfect obedience lest they be punished. But here we see through the eyes of love of our God that all the perfection that was required was given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that all the punishment that was due because of our sinfulness our Lord Jesus also took on as a substitute in our place, and that your full and complete wrath was poured out upon him. It should have been us, but yet in love, you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, we are so grateful for that. There is nothing we could ever do to repay you, but Father, we just pray that you would give us a heart to come boldly before your throne, whenever times of supplication must be made but Lord that we might come humble in our heart as we come rejoicing in what Christ has done for us on our behalf. Lord we are grateful again for this church for everywhere that your uh, churches are found Lord we pray that uh, you might bless them that you might keep them that you might encourage them even today Father wherever all those in, that's in your name are gathered we pray, Lord, that you would edify them by your word. Be with those who are preaching the word, Lord, that you might speak and minister uh, Christ through them. And again, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us now as we leave this place. Keep us and that you might uh, bless us, Lord, this week. And uh, we pray for all your sheep that are out there, Lord, as you gather them together. We pray, Lord, that you would take them to places, help them, Lord. We pray for all of our brother, brothers and sisters that are out there where there is no sound churches uh, close. We pray, Lord, that you might raise up a church amongst them. Uh, and uh, as uh, you promised that you will build your church. And so we we trust in you. It is your church. And so, Lord, we just look forward to the day that we see you face to face and we put off this flesh and that we put on uh, that uh that body that you have prepared for us. We again are are, uh, uh, thankful today for salvation in Christ Jesus. And we ask this all because of Christ. In his name, amen.